And the beauty about this diet is that calories don't matter. It is the quality that matters. You eat as much as you want, eat to your satisfaction, but don't overeat. If you are hungry, within an hour after eating, you have under eaten, eat more. If you feel uncomfortable in your tummy after eating, you have overeaten and eat less. Very simple. But continue to your satisfaction. And I found my weight keep on coming down and then stabilized. Because this theory dictates that the body decides what the right weight is for you and it stops there and you continue. Quality is the matter that you should have good quality, healthy food. Don't worry about the quantity as long as you don't overeat. And it has been scientifically proven now. Welcome to the HNL Movement Podcast, where everything is geared to leveling up your performance in activities, sports, and life. Join me in my professional journey as I share my knowledge and experiences while also learning from professionals, colleagues, clients, and you with one goal in mind, how to optimize human performance. This is the right place to learn how a multidimensional approach will sustain the performance and lifestyle you desire. Welcome back everyone to the HNL Movement Podcast. For any of the new listeners, thank you for joining in. You're definitely in the right place to hear about all of these topics spanning from sports medicine and athletic training to strength and conditioning to sports nutrition and everything that's geared to helping you to optimize your performance. All of my returning listeners, thank you again for joining for another episode. And if you haven't heard some of the previous library of great guest interviews, solo topics that all gear to giving you strategies, techniques, and tips to help you to elevate your performance. Go and check that out. You can listen to all of these podcast episodes on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. I am also putting up video highlight clips of all of these previous episodes up on my YouTube channel. It's been a little slower getting all of those up, but stay tuned for that. You can search for HNL Movement, HNL Movement Podcast, or just my name, and check out all of those video highlight clips as well. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, like those videos, and leave some comments and feedback for me. I would love to hear from any of the listeners out there. Today's episode is a great one, and I'm so glad that I got connected with this person. And I have no other than Dr. Raj Anand on the podcast. And he is a retired cardiologist, but his stories, experiences, and all the things that he shares is definitely something that everyone can learn from. It was so great to sit down and talk to him, ask him some questions, and go over all of the experiences that he's had, I believe, practicing as a cardiologist for 41 years. He still stays very active, exercising, taking care of his health, and practicing a lot of the things that he's learned throughout his career. He wrote a book as well that you can buy on Amazon and get the Kindle version or the hard copy version. But we go over all of these concepts and great strategies that deal with taking care of your health, taking care of your heart, your cardiovascular system, and also the big role that nutrition, food, sleep habits, stress management, socializing, how all of that comes together to make sure that you live in a healthy way and you really reap the benefits by improving the quality of your life. We get into Raj's background, so I'll leave it for the podcast episode. There were so many great things that we talked about, so be sure to check this one out. It was a fascinating one, an inspiring episode, and I'm just so excited to jump straight into it. Welcome back, everyone, to the HNL Movement podcast. 
We have a very exciting episode, as I mentioned, and I would like to welcome Dr. Raj Anand to the podcast. He has so much experience that we're going to talk about, a lot of great things that he's done over his lifespan, in his career, and he's still continuing to do a lot of great things. So thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Raj Anand. You're welcome. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Yeah, so let's dive into, you know, every guest, I always say there's not enough time to go over all the things that we want to talk about. So we don't want to waste any time. But let's start with your story, because you have an interesting backstory. Even prior to being a doctor and going into cardiology, you have so many experiences that a lot of us can't even imagine of, you know, experiencing or going, going through. So talk about that a little bit growing up and some of your story and how this led into what you pursued as your career? Uh, sure. I was born in India. And at that time, uh, I was 11 years of age when it got divided into India and Pakistan. And uh, then there was a holocaust of Hindus in Pakistan. And uh, me and my family happened to live there at that time. And uh, we survived two attempts uh, uh, meant to kill us. But then successfully we arrived in India uh, under the protection of Indian military that was sent to a camp to bring us. Uh, then I was educated in India from seventh grade uh, onward, I did my graduate degree and then uh, postgraduate degree in medicine in India uh, from King George Medical College. And uh, after that, uh, finishing my residency over there, uh, I uh, got married and me and my wife uh, came to U.S. in 1963. Mm -hmm. Uh, and over here, I finished my three years of residency and then uh, got a scholarship to go to Harvard and finish my fellowship training at Brigham and Women Hospital and then at Mass General Hospital. And after that, uh, the UMass Medical School opened up in Worcester, Massachusetts. So I uh, came here. And I was professor here for 41 years. Uh, I also wrote a medical textbook on how to read EKGs. I am an inventor, invented thermoelectric angioplastic catheter with global patent and US patent. And after 41 years of enjoying my profession, though very stressful, but I enjoyed it. Uh, I uh, retired uh, in uh, uh, 2013, but I have been active. I was called back to give lectures several times, and I gave lectures. Uh, the last one, I believe, was in 2016. And then I get invitations locally from uh, different places to give lectures to uh, the non-medical people and I do that also. And my wife's desire was, and uh, before I go to that, I may mention that uh, 
I wrote a book on my experiences uh, of what I went through uh, that Holocaust. And uh, those who are interested for historical purposes, it's a small book, 43 pages, is now stored at the Library of Congress in Washington and also national libraries of Canada, England, France, Germany, Italy, Switzerland, Austria, and Australia, uh, in case anyone is interested. Now, coming back to uh, my retired life over here, I was interested during the last uh, uh, many years of my medical school career where I was a director of CCU and a director of non-invasive cardiovascular laboratories and director of the cardiovascular research laboratories. I was the first one to start ultrasound of the heart in Massachusetts. And I was the first one to start stress testing in central Massachusetts. And uh, with those uh, credentials, uh, I was very much interested in healthy diet. Mm -hmm. So my wife's uh, wish was that I write a book on it. And unfortunately, two years ago, she died. And I wanted to fulfill her wish. So I completed this book. And this book is now available at amazon.com. And all the proceeds of the book go directly to Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston in the loving memory of my wife. So I encourage you to buy this book. And I can guarantee you everybody will find something worth reading. Yes, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear about your wife. And we are going to touch on the book a lot. There's a lot of great things. We'll get to that in a little while. But there's so many things that you've accomplished and achieved throughout your successful career. Was medicine always something that you wanted to pursue? Or when did that interest and passion start for you? It's a very good question. When I was a child uh, in India, it is a custom when the doctor comes to your house. In those days, they used to visit the house when you are sick. Uh, everybody stands up and gives them a lot of respect whenever doctor comes in. And when he leaves or she leaves, they will go out with him to make sure that he goes uh, back into uh, the car. And doctors are always very neatly dressed. So I was very impressed as a child. <laughs> and I was determined that I will do my very best to become a doctor. I think I, it was around age seven and eight, my age, when I started noticing this and then came to India and same tradition over there continued. And that is when I decided to uh, become a doctor. Yeah, that's amazing. And when you came to the U.S., was that transition or experience or, you know, even going into a specialty, did that influence you? at all moving to the U.S., or what was that experience like? Uh, yes, when I came over here, uh, the teacher I loved the most uh, was a cardiologist. Of course, he's retired now, 
And I was very impressed with his teaching, his explaining, his devotion. I decided to go into cardiology. He was a very strict person. He rarely recommended anyone. And to my surprise, one day he said to me, Raj, next July you are going to Harvard on a scholarship that I have arranged for you. I couldn't believe it. And uh, he said, yes, I mean it. I said, thank you, sir. So it was his kindness uh, which resulted in my going to Boston. But uh, one uh, thing was very painful at that time that there were only seven days left before I was going to go join Harvard. And I got a notice from Washington to go back to your country because you came for residency and now you are changing to specialty. I didn't know what to do, so I called him. Mm -hmm. And he immediately called up Washington and talked to the person who had written the letter. And they said, oh, we have no objection. It is the government of India. They call it brain drain that everybody who goes there stays there. So they want you. So he said, what should I do? And I said, my embassy is the only one. So he wrote to Consulate General in New York a night letter in those days, Mm -hmm. which is overnight. And next day he got a response. Uh, He wrote to them that his career is just beginning and you want to destroy it. So next day they uh, wrote back, we have no objection. So he called Boston. And uh, from the Boston, they said, okay, send us a copy of letter, but the letter we will, uh, the order we will rescind right now, and he can go to Boston. So that's how I was uh, clear. (laughs) Wow, yeah, that's amazing. And it's crazy how sometimes things fall into place. And, you know, obviously, we have, we all have great mentors that have done, you know, whatever it takes for us to pursue our career and our passion. But that is super interesting because within a matter of days, you know, things were going back and forth and you might have had to go back to India. So fortunately, we know that you didn't and you were able to attend Harvard. And what was that experience like early in your career? Was cardiology something that you were able to experience many, many different things and work with a variety of patients. And is this kind of what pursued your passion, you know, later on in your career about healthy diet, you know, living a healthy lifestyle? What was that beginning stage of your career like? Yes, I can't thank God enough. When I reached Harvard, I was trained under two Uh, fathers of cardiology, one at Brigham and Women and one at Mass General. And at uh, Brigham uh, and Women, uh, uh, it was Dr. Samuel Levine and at Mass General, Dr. Parderley White. I was very impressed at how humble they were down to earth. And they will sit down, they will explain to you they will tell you, go to library, read such and such article. And one thing I still remember, which has helped me a lot in my life, was from Paul Dudley White at Mass General. He said, Raj, remember, whenever you read an article, don't be the first one to accept it and never be the last one to give up. 
So uh, that has helped me a lot. I keep that attitude when I read an article. So I learned a lot from them and that even deepened my interest. My research interest got even deeper after seeing them. Yes. And uh, that is when I decided I want to teach, but I want to uh, create something and do research as well. That is, yes, that's spectacular that your interest just keeps growing once you get exposed to more. And I want to touch on a little bit and you can share whatever you you feel is applicable, but growing up too. So being in cardiology, right? I'm sure you've you've seen a lot of different patients from athletes to sedentary people and you know the influence of exercise, what it has on the body and the heart, right? What were some of your things growing up, you know, making it through med school, what were some of your activities that you like to do besides the research and the studying to be a doctor? Uh, As a matter of fact, to be very honest, I was so busy in learning. I did not have much time at that time in the beginning, even to do exercise, Mm -hmm. because we were supposed to be on duty as resident continuously for 36 hours. And so after 36 hours, we got the night off, go home, tired, eat and go to sleep. And next time, next morning back again for 36 hours, that was for one year. And I remember I came home uh, once and my wife was crying. And I said, what happened? She said, is this what we came for to this country? <laughs> oh, no. yeah. I said, if that bothers you, let's go back. She said, no, I want you to uh, achieve your aim and mm-hmm. I'm with you all the <laughs> mm-hmm. So after that, I got used to working uh, those hours. And uh, when I was working in the cardiology section, I never left the lab till three o'clock at night Mm -hmm. because of a lot of calculations that I had to do and finish because the cardiologist teacher who recommended me for Harvard used to be present on the floor with the patients exactly at seven. And I was supposed to be there 15 minutes before and to give him all the report of my uh, analysis and all that. And that is what impressed him. Yes. Hard work paid off. Yes. And most people don't realize, and, you know, especially at that level, right? All of the sacrifices that you do have to make. And I mean, that's remarkable because I don't know many people that would be able to carry out that type of rigorous schedule and achieve all of those things. But you made it through. And like your wife said, you achieved, you know, your aim eventually. So as you got to become a practicing physician, what kind of shaped your perspectives on helping patients and dealing with cardiovascular issues? What were some of your knowledge and what types of things did you impart on your patients? I give a lot of credit to my students there. Gave me a lot of respect. And uh, in my lectures, they ask very good questions. Uh, Then my patients, I was always, I have been polite. And uh, patients uh, like that. And I used to make sure that I'm punctual 
whatever time I give to the patients, they do not wait even a couple of minutes more than that. And exactly at the time, at that time they come into my office and I used to give them one hour to sit down and talk to me, any questions and all that, they seemed uh, satisfied. Since it was a consultation practice, it was my time to, my uh, authority to decide how long I'm going to spend with each patient rather than somebody else telling me, oh, you can't spend more than 20 minutes with the patient. Mm -hmm. So those are the things, I think it is interaction. You give love and you receive love. (laughs) And uh, that is what I received from my patients. Even I tell you one experience which even today uh, I cannot forget, (laughs) I needed my driveway to be uh, uh, cleaned uh, once because my regular person who used to clean during snow did not come. Uh, So I called uh, one of my uh, patients who had told me, if ever I get stuck, let me know. His son picked up the phone And he said, I'll be there in 15 minutes. So he came, he cleaned it and all that. And I did not receive the bill. So I called him and I said, I haven't received the bill. He said, sir, the thing is, my father has told me that you saved his life. And I'm not supposed to charge you. So I said, now listen to me also, if you don't charge me, In future, no matter whatever the emergency, I will hesitate to call you. So please do me a favor. And uh, if you still want me to call you, send me the check. So uh, uh, send me the bill. So he sent the bill. I paid it. Then for one month, he didn't cash it. (laughs) He thought that probably I would forget. So I called back again. And he said, oh, gee, I thought that you will forget it. I said, no, please. So he cashed it. And uh, though after that, I didn't call him because I knew that uh, he uh, would not uh, charge me. So when you get this kind of love in return, uh, then you can't help being kinder and kinder uh, to the uh, patients. Yes. Those stories and, you know, those interactions, it's things that you'll always remember, right? And it's more rewarding than anything that, you know, accolades or rewards because it's really helping the people. And I can tell that's that's very important to you. Now, going on in in your story career, as you got more into cardiology, I know cardiology can be a, you know, vast field like every other field. But what were some of your specialty areas or what were what were you passionate about what kinds of things were you teaching at UMass and if you can share a little bit about that sure uh, what I loved always was cardiac catheterization <laughs> where you put the tubes uh, into the heart from the leg you can do that from arm now too you inject and you uh, see on the screen and take movie picture of it of coronary artery disease I got very interested in coronary artery disease because more than 600,000 people die only in the United States uh, due to this deadly disease. And I said that uh, 
I am going to do my very best to play my part. And uh, luckily, I got good teachers, good training. And that was my area of interest. And along the way, then I contributed through my research as well and uh, eventually developed a thermoelectric angioplasty catheter. Uh, but these days, the stents are being placed because they are safer uh, and effective. So that is how it all uh, evolved. And thinking back to from the very beginning of your career to all the way to the end, what kinds of things have you saw you know, as a practitioner anecdotally, also in the research, has trends with coronary heart disease changed over the decades? What types of other things do we know now maybe that we didn't know, you know, decades prior to this? What were some of the, what was the evolution of the disease that you experienced through your career? Uh, Yes. During the last 50 years, we have learned more than the previous 500 years or And things started evolving uh, in 1980s, and especially when it comes to diet, it started evolving in mid-1970s. Mm-hmm. So we have learned, and because of technology, the progress has been much faster than it was anticipated. Initially, I remember we always used to be afraid when I put a cardiac catheter in the coronary artery, it it is going to block the artery. And especially when I inject, there is not going to be blood. It is going to be the contrast material, what will happen to the heart. And patients used to develop cardiac arrest. And you feel bad about it. And we used to be ready, everybody. I used to look around the technicians, nurses, everybody's on set, everybody's looking at the uh, TV. And the moment I yell cough, we used to train the patient, don't think, just start coughing hard so that before the heart goes into arrest, it gets stimulated with cough and it comes back. They don't develop cardiac arrest. And we used to make sure we have a defibrillator ready in case it rests. But it was a painful experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, slowly and slowly, better catheters have developed. And so now it is much, much safer. I wouldn't worry about it. And there I can give you one example. A 27-year-old young lady was referred to me because she had chest pains. And I said, oh, my God, 27-year-old but I have to answer what the chest pains are due to. If it's coronary artery disease, something has to be done. Mm-hmm. And uh, did the stress test. In those days, nuclear tests were not available. Mm-hmm. And uh, stress test, if it is negative, still uh, uh, almost 40 to 45%, it is false negative. Mm-hmm. So that really doesn't help you much. If it's positive, it helps you. Uh, but false positives can occur too. So I had no choice except to go in and do the cardiac catheterization. I prayed that morning. Mm-hmm. I went in because if something happened to her, what will I, it will be on my conscience, on my life. Mm-hmm. So I did the test, test went beautifully. 
And the first thing after that I did was I took off my gown and went to the small room, shut the door and cried. <laughs> Just let it out and uh-huh. thank God. So to tell you that uh, regarding experiences you asked, there were rough days. Yes. Uh, but now it's perfectly all right. Yes. It's amazing how fast technology improves and you know the amount of the capabilities that we can do now. Even like from 10 years ago, I would imagine that things have gotten so much better with some of the technology advances. And it's interesting to hear what it was like, you know, like you said, 50, 40, 50 years ago, because now where it is, I mean, unfortunately, right, a lot of these coronary heart disease cases are being treated with stents, like you said. And even though it's unfortunately common, I would say the success rate, and you could chime in on this, the success rate is a lot more low risk. Um, I think a lot of these things are making a big difference, not only with heart function, but just quality of life too. On On those lines, are there certain things that you have seen as trends, I guess, that has, of course, increased the risk of developing coronary heart disease? Oh, yes. First of all, the wrong kind of foods, Mm -hmm. the sugar and the fried food, these uh, meats which are highly processed, prepackaged snacks as they came in more and more, people also more sedentary rather than doing exercise. Mm -hmm. So lack of exercise, eating wrong foods, and on top of that, stress levels, instead of going down, they have increased. And now on top of that COVID, uh, people are very much stressed. Yes. And there are, uh, I would say, potentially debilitating diseases like heart disease, high blood pressure, stroke, dementia, leading to depression, starting with loss of memory, and then cancer, people whose uh, stomach is always bloated and cramps, they go to doctors, all the tests come out negative, but actually what they have is we are finding more and more leaky gut syndrome, mm-hmm. and then diabetes and arthritis. All these debilitating diseases result, as now we have learned, from one basic cause and that is chronic low-grade inflammation in all the cells of the body, which we don't even realize because we don't feel it. Mm-hmm. So it is very simple answer, just to answer in theory, that if we can take control of this chronic low-grade inflammation, mm-hmm. then the incidence of these diseases will be significantly reduced and lots and lots of lives will be saved. Yes. And that cannot be done just by eating healthy diet. (laughs) And this is my criticism. These books that I have read so far, they all tell you eat healthy food. But that alone is not enough. You have to work on exercise and you have to reduce stress as much as you can. Besides that, adequate sleep. Yes. 
socializing. Mm-hmm. And besides these five things, annual physical checkup. And I mentioned all this in my book in detail, yes. why they are necessary. Yes. Uh, so that I hope answers your question. And what prompted me also in relation to the, your question, uh, why I decided to write this book uh, is that the books that are available, they all tell you eat fruits, vegetables, beans, whole grains, nuts, seeds, but they do not specifically do not go into details. Mm -hmm. Like for example, you are shopping for the bread at a supermarket. Everybody knows I have to buy whole grains. There are six, seven different breads, which are all whole grains. Which one is the best for you? Mm -hmm. How to choose that? then you are going to buy oils you use in the cooking. Oils are very harmful. They are actually your enemies. But still you want to use oil, which oil to use, and most importantly, why? And why not the others? Yes. You are in a restaurant eating salad. Nobody mentions, please mention to server to take out the seeds always when you are eating raw tomatoes because they have toxic lectins in them in the wrong long run lead to leaky gut and these problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all those details I thought should be brought out so that people can get enough knowledge that they can decide by themselves what's good for them yes. and how to eat and how much to eat. Yes. There's so many great things that you've said right there. And this is what I love to talk about. So we could go on and on. But I think the last statement that you said is, that's really what it is. People through experience, they find out, I mean, you need to have the knowledge, of course, but find out what is best for you to eat, how your body responds, and use that combined with the knowledge, things like your book, to pair this together to actually make it part of your lifestyle. I think that's the one thing is that when we start to follow something specific without understanding the reasons behind it or why it's working or even the effects it has on us, it becomes very hard to sustain. But once you start to incorporate this as part of regular daily living, you start to reap the benefits. It it brings a lot of value. So you start to continue what you're doing. And before you know it, you're reducing this low level chronic inflammation, which is hundred percent, you know, what's the cause of all of these chronic diseases, chronic pain, all of these things. And you hit the nail when you said lifestyle. It is not just changing in diet. You have to develop a healthy lifestyle. Yes. And that includes all these what I counted. Diet, exercise, relaxation, adequate sleep, socializing, and once a year physical checkup. Yes. And the other thing, since, you know, you been on this pod or you're coming on this podcast that I was thinking about as you said all of this, which you would be definitely able to provide insight on is that for most people, they know that I'm just starting my PhD journey. And part of that is that I'm revisiting anatomy again. And one of the things that was really, really surprising to me was that when you start developing coronary heart disease or any type of atherosclerosis in the arteries, it actually becomes super hard. I found that out 
And I did not know that. I mean, you learn about this, right? But I think when you actually see it in a actual body and you realize how much damage, I guess, to your arteries you're actually causing with a less than healthy lifestyle, I would say, that thing becoming that scarred down atherosclerosis and it's that crunchy for lack of a better term, that if most people... I think experienced that or saw that and knew the effects that it's having inside of your body. Because the one great thing that you said is this low level inflammation or coronary heart disease and all of that, you can't feel it. Our body can't sense it. But if you understand what is actually taking place in your body, how it's adapting in a negative way, I think that in itself will make most people rethink about, okay, how do I want to take care of my body? Because Like you said, once you start to incorporate some of these things, you take care of your body, it's going to benefit in so many ways besides just physical health too. But can you touch on that a little bit? All of the surgeries that you've done, all of the people's lives that you've saved, what is physically happening to not only your coronary arteries, but all of your arteries, arteries in the brain, arteries all over your body? What is happening when you start to pile on decades of living in a way that you're not fully taking care of your body? Sure. What happens is when you eat the wrong foods and at the same time you don't do exercise, then all this is converted in the body into fat. And that fat is now, which has formed from the liver, circulates Uh, in the blood, and this fat is sticky in nature. It is going through the arteries and getting stuck here and there in the arteries all over the body. Arteries of large size, medium size, even small size. Now, when fat deposits on the inner lining of the arteries, the inner lining that was normally present before is a membrane very thin and body responds to it by growing fresh thin layer over it so that this fat gets covered to keep the inner lining smooth so blood keeps going. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it occupies space, that fat behind the lining, diameter of the artery narrows. Mm -hmm. And then over the long run, process occurs called fibrosis. And this fat hardens. But not all of it hardens. Some of it is still soft, might have deposited yesterday or day before yesterday. So that fat is vulnerable. And what happens that if you are under stress, or if for any reason uh, this lining breaks, then there are cells in the body called platelets. They want to plug, right? If you cut your finger, the bleeding eventually stops because the platelets come and cover it. It's called white thrombus and the bleeding stops. So platelets come and cover it and then Platelets release a substance which deposits and makes it hard. 
but as this goes on it keeps narrowing narrowing and narrowing until one day it is blocked more than 75% and it does not have to be more than 75 sometimes it is only 34 35% block there is enough flow and when the inner lining breaks and the, uh, those white cells platelets deposit then blood itself starts clotting over there and that clot increases in size and blocks the whole artery quickly yes as the blood supply is cut off you get heart attack so you don't have to have significant blockage sometimes insignificant and still you can get total blockage very quickly mm-hmm. and that leads to heart attack now if that doesn't happen and slowly and slowly they get narrower if you are that lucky it is happening not in the heart arteries only mm-hmm. arteries all over the body so when the arteries of the legs narrow down enough you start getting pains on walking because your leg needs more oxygen and it's not getting there enough mm-hmm. arteries are hard they are not dilating to give more supply you develop what they call as claudication pain on walking if it blocks enough in the arteries of the neck which supply the brain you get stroke yes plus there is a formula in physics flow times resistance is pressure mm-hmm. if the artery does not dilate it offers a resistance to the flow blood pressure goes up and too high blood pressure can cause hemorrhage in the brain so uh, that is how it affects the arteries and can lead to not only hardening the arteries but yeah. quick complete blockage causing heart attack and if blood supply of the heart is suddenly cut off heart becomes irritable yes. and when it becomes irritable it becomes beats irregularly and very fast and goes into what we call as ventricular fibrillation and when if it is not contracting properly the blood cannot flow because it's not working like a pump yes the blood flow totally gets cut off and the person dies right then and there and those are all things that like you said things in your book so i do want to mention your book it's called healthy diet and mindfulness to prevent coronary heart disease yes. and i looked through the book it's a very quick read with a lot of great gems in there and like you said it's the food and the diet that is a big component for sure and no one's arguing that but it's so much more than that because it has to work with all of these other areas sleep recovery stress mediation making sure that everything in your life socializing all of these things are working together to not only support your health but just support your lifestyle so now throughout your career too and even the things that the little bit that i've seen you know in my short my beginnings of my career we know that there's certain things that you can do to reverse coronary heart disease or any type of cardiovascular disease so why don't you touch on that if there were you know i want everyone to look through your book go get your book cuz it supports that foundation all proceeds go to there so it's a great supporting a great cause but if you were to just give a few key points to make people understand why food and nutrition is so important how would you sum that up for them in a few points uh yes from that point of view i have divided a chapter in my book where i have 
grouped the people into three groups. One who are healthy, have no cholesterol problem, no family history of heart disease, have no risk factor like diabetes, high blood pressure, smoking, obesity, lack of exercise, uh, none of these and are healthy, then they can eat everything which is healthy and try to cut down what is unhealthy, but whatever they eat, eat in moderation. Mm -hmm. And make sure to follow these six things, which is healthy diet, exercise, stress reduction, socializing, adequate sleep, and once a year physical checkup. So that is for them. Those who have risk factors but do not have coronary disease, all they have to do is that if they eat meat, make sure cut off all the fat, it is lean meat and smaller portions. Their cholesterol is up, so do everything to bring down the cholesterol. So instead of having low fat, yogurt, for example, that everybody we recommend are low-fat products, go to non-fat. And non-fat yogurt is available these days. If you don't like the plain, you can get non-fat fruit yogurt. So that is the advice for those who have risk factors but no disease. Just cut out the red uh, meat, but you can still have chicken and uh, you can have turkey, but without the fat and control your cholesterol. If that does not work and your cholesterol is still up, then you move on to group three. And that group is where the people have coronary disease or only risk factors, but needed to come to this group because they tried everything, it did not work. And in this group, the best advice I can give is that you have to become vegetarian. Now, if so you say, no, no matter what, I'm not going to be vegetarian, I'll say, okay, then become at least flexitarian, which is cut down the days you eat meat as much as possible, increase the days where you are strict vegetarian. And when you are vegetarian, you are allowed to have fish. <laughs> and the best fish is salmon. So, that way, you can have your cake and eat it too. I don't want to use the word cake. <laughs> That's an American expression. So, uh, and then people say, gee, I have to have dessert even if I have coronary disease. I say, don't worry. You have dessert. Have every night. I do. But which dessert? Mm -hmm. The only thing is dark, very dark chocolates. Mm -hmm. Make sure that your chocolate says on the bar or box, cacao content, 75% or more. The more, the better. I get the one which is 88%, but for many people, it may be slightly bitter. And then slowly work your way up. Never, never buy with cacao content less than 60%, even if it is dark chocolate because all milk chocolates, dark milk chocolates, have cacao content uh, less than 60%. Actually, it is 35% and less. So you can have that uh, half an ounce, even if go to one ounce, that's okay. So you have dessert as well. 
but always have some probiotic and the best is yogurt and always have prebiotics and prebiotics are sauerkraut miso fermented vegetables regular vegetables in your food the fruits they all have prebiotic and this prebiotic is used by good bacteria in the gut and they grow and as they dominate they kill the unhealthy bacteria in the gut and you have a healthy happy gut and there is a saying happy gut happy person which is true yes yes let's touch on that real briefly so the gut people don't i think it's becoming more mainstream now right the enteric nervous system how it communicates your gut communicates to your brain and it regulates all of these different processes in the human body and when it's not functioning or even worse when it's in dysfunction right when you have leaky gut syndrome or something like that that is way far down the line now where certain things need to regain that homeostasis or that balance in your gut so briefly touch on that a little bit how important is gut health not only to overall health but cardiovascular health as well sure uh in the gut besides eating healthy food because unhealthy will help the unhealthy bacteria grow more and more and you will produce a lot of gas also which is one of the things happens to leaky gut people so what you can do is there is a hormone in the body called serotonin and many people do not know that 95% of the serotonin is produced and stored in the gut and this is called happy hormone this keeps you in good mood and when you are in good mood you are feeling happy you have more energy and it is good for your health and uh, to keep uh, that serotonin levels up there are five foods that i encourage and that is salmon spinach broccoli eggs in limitation and dark chocolates and also walnuts among the seeds so that makes it six but actually it's five because broccoli and spinach they are in the vegetables so salmon spinach broccoli eggs in limitations and only white is preferred then walnuts and chia seeds and dark chocolates if you do this your gut will stay happy but i must mention that all nuts are not created equal so uh, the walnuts and the pistachios are the best uh, they do not have that much bad fat or saturated fat in it and walnuts have the most potent antioxidants in it and these days due to environmental factors and all that you must all load up with antioxidants and antioxidants are present in vegetables all color vegetables fruits then uh, walnuts and pistachios chia seeds and uh, then in your tea and coffee red wine and again dark chocolates but a word of caution about the seeds 
and that is don't buy flax seeds. Uh, flax seeds you have to buy in ground form, otherwise you don't digest. And the ground ones get destroyed even if refrigerated after two weeks. And if you take too much, they can cause loose bowel movements. Now, chia seeds, all you have to remember is one thing, and that is that even though the package will say two tablespoons a day, because they have to sell, I guess, never start more than half a teaspoon a day, once a day. Soak them in the water at night. In the morning, they become soft. You can ease, eat as is, or if you want, you can put in smoothies or vegetable juice, and you can have that. So that's about uh, the nuts and seeds. And chocolates I've already discussed, and uh, about coffee, Americans get their antioxidants uh, from the coffee in the morning, a lot of antioxidants. Tea drinkers, I must say, and I mentioned in the book, that never squeeze the tea bag. You just let the color that you like in the tea come and then take out the bag and throw it away. Because tea have tannins, and tannins are very helpful they help absorb iron and calcium at the junction of the stomach and intestine. But if taken too much tannins, then they hurt us. Instead of helping absorb calcium iron, they cause inflammation in that area and they retard uh, the absorption of calcium iron. And in the long run, those who drink a lot of tea are subject to developing deficiency of calcium and iron in the blood. So all these things I have uh, explained. Yes, in your book. And there's so many, so much great information of all of these things. And I like the approach of how you figured this out throughout the years. And one thing that I do want to ask you is, so we know most medical professions, yes, nutrition is important, but the actual nutrition education, I think, lacks in many professions, unless you're studying to become a registered dietitian or something very specific in the field. For myself, I had to go all outside after schooling and all of these other additional programs to learn more about nutrition. But how did this passion develop for you? I mean, I know it's really related with, you know, cardiovascular function, but throughout the decades, how did you start to improve or get more interested in learning about nutrition knowledge? Yes. And before I go to in, uh, into that, one thing I failed to mention, don't forget about spices for antioxidants. Cinnamon has a lot of antioxidants in it. And uh, garlic, mm -hmm. uh, turmeric powder, ginger, they are very powerful antioxidants. So they must be included also. Mm -hmm. Now to answer your question, the reason I developed this passion was I was swimming. I used to take 60 laps a day during my younger days and my wife used to swim a lot too. One day I felt a little pain in the center of my chest behind the breastbone and I stopped exercise and immediately went away. And then I completed my all the laps without any problem. But being a cardiologist, 
I said, no, there has to be something because the pain was a burning sensation and exactly where the heart attack people get, I have to get it investigated. I came home, immediately called the nuclear lab. And in those days, I was involved in nuclear testing also. And they booked me first thing in the morning. Next day, I took some blood thinners at night. And next morning, I went uh, and have the test done. Uh, actually, blood thinners I took after the test was done. And I'll tell you why. So the test was done. And to my surprise, I looked at my angiogram. And it showed quite severe block that I could die any time. And I said, I've been so active, never symptoms. But obviously, I was eating the wrong foods. So, and usually when you are busy 18 hours a day working as a fellow under training and all that, you eat burgers and all those kinds of foods. And uh, so I immediately called the chief of cardiology and I, who does the cardiac cath also. And I said, could you please come? And there's something I want to show you without telling him whose angiogram mm -hmm. is. Uh -huh. He came, looked at it and he said, oh my gosh, who is this? I said, he's sitting in front of you. He said, really? So he told me to take the blood thinner. And next morning, first person, I went and he uh, did the angiogram. And I had severe disease, 90% in one vessel and 85 in the other, which he dilated successfully and put a stent. And at that time, I said, oh, I must reduce my weight and eat the right things. Mm -hmm. But in those days, unfortunately, two kinds of uh, diets were in competition. One was Atkins diet, which was eat as much fat as you want and you will reduce the weight. One was high fiber, uh, carbohydrates with high fiber and you will reduce the weight. And then the study came which said those who eat a lot of fat, they reduce weight faster because they feel full, they eat less during the day. But after six months, they start gaining. Whereas with carbs, they eat slowly they reduce weight, but then it keeps going down. That got me interested even more. So I said, okay, I'm going to try it on myself first before I mention anything. So I went and studied the work of others who are very well known, like uh, Dean Arnish in California and Caldwell Esselstyn in uh, Cleveland Clinic and got some hints from there. And then I tried diet on my own self, which I designed for myself. And my wife was very, very cooperative. Even I tried without oils, just in uh, tomato sauce and all that, which is delicious actually. Uh, and uh, I tried it. And the beauty about this diet is that calories don't matter. It is the quality that matters. You eat as much as you want, eat to your satisfaction, but don't overeat. If you are hungry, within an hour after eating, you have undereaten, eat more. If you feel uncomfortable in your tummy after eating, you have overeaten and eat less. Very simple. But continue to your satisfaction. And I found my weight keep on coming down and then stabilized. Because this theory dictates that the body decides what the right weight is for you and it stops there 
and you continue, quality is the matter that you should have good quality, healthy food. Don't worry about the quantity as long as you don't overeat. And it has been scientifically proven now. Yes. That, that is excellent because that is exactly what I work with my clients and athletes on is that calories don't matter like how the media and mainstream says it matters. It's really the quality, which calories tell you nothing about the quality, as you mentioned. And the other thing that is super important that I want people to you know, take, take note of is that eat till you're satisfied. And when you start to eat the right foods, your body actually senses satisfaction or fullness a lot better than when you're eating the foods that don't provide too much value to us. So those two things, I mean, among everything else in your book, I encourage everyone to go check that out because there's a lot of great things. Now, along those lines, I wanted to ask you what around, if you don't mind sharing around what age did you have to get the stents and when was that in your life? Because like you said, you were swimming, you were physically active, you were doing a lot of things and no history or signs or symptoms other than that one incident. But about what age was that for you? I was born in 35 and this happened in 2002. So I was 67. Got it. And I must mention before I leave that Dr. Dean Ornish mm-hmm. has done a lot of work and he was the first one to prove that with proper diet, you can reverse coronary heart disease. I do want to touch on that too. So, I mean, we've seen, and you're still super active, you're engaged, you're doing all of these things. So I'm I mean, 80, forgive me for interruption. I'm 86 and I exercise for more than an hour every morning in our gym because after my wife's death, I could not live alone in the big house. I'm at a senior living now, mm-hmm. uh, independent part. And I spend more than an hour at gym every day, six days a week. And one day I do yoga. One day I do 35 Western exercises. And one day I do Tai Chi and 10 mindful movements and keep going that way. And I do bicycle for aerobics and go out for a walk for aerobics, and I combine them too. Yes. I mean, that's inspiring to all of us, how active you are and all of these things that you practice and you're sharing them with others too. And one question that I had was, can you give you know any sort of maybe brief example, you don't have to give all the details, with some of the patients or some of the people even after you know, you experienced a stent and started playing around with your diet. Some of the people that you've helped or advised that have reversed their coronary heart disease or improved their health, what kinds of things are you used to seeing with this type of lifestyle change? Yes, what I see is number one, they feel more energetic than before. And they themselves say, gee, we are eating more than we used to. Yes. Still feel great and uh, feel very, very energetic. And the thing is to prove reversal of heart disease. Like once I thought, how can I prove in my case that I have reversed it? Nobody will do coronary angiogram just to prove that Mm -hmm. because maybe one in a million chest complications but that is unforgivable if you are doing something for no benefit uh, and you may cause complication. 
And so the way to prove is number one, there are PET scans which were done at Cleveland Clinic. Patients were sent to Texas because they are the only ones who could do that kind of work and the details. And they found that uh, the disease is reversed and the blood flow to the areas where it was practically zero is restored. And I have pictures of those. Uh, I could not put it in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so that is the proof it is reversed. In my case, the proof is previously, even after, uh, immediately after stents, I used to go out in the cold weather and I used to get within 10 minutes, little pressure in the chest and I used to come back. Mm-hmm. Now, and I have tried it on myself repeatedly at a temperature of 38 degrees Fahrenheit, I went out and walked for 40 minutes without any symptom and came back fine. So mm-hmm. that means that I have in all likelihood reversed my coronary artery. That is amazing. And thinking to give to any of the listeners out there or any people that you know maybe are interested in understanding what their body is going through, what do you recommend Besides the yearly annual physicals, what do you recommend for people to just make sure that your health is in check? Is there certain things that you think, because a lot of, like you said, a lot of these people, they might not even know, you know, it might not even show up on your annual, just basic blood tests or blood work, right? So what are some things that people can encourage or ask their doctor to check further just in case, you know, they're, I guess, being cautious because of family history or whatever it is, what types of things do you do preventatively to make sure that the body is working properly? I'm glad you asked that. I tell everybody, make sure to tell your doctor, because most of the doctors do not do that, that when they check your cholesterol and everything, Normally, you should try to keep your total cholesterol less than 150 milligram percent and your bad cholesterol, LDL, less than 80%. But ask your doctor, besides checking their uh, cholesterol and triglycerides and good cholesterol, bad cholesterol, check what is called as high sensitivity CRP, HSCRP test. What it does is that this is a special test. Try to keep it at one or below. You have very low risk, extremely rare of coronary disease. If it goes between one and two, then you have average risk. Two to three is high risk and above three is very high risk. And it is not simple CRP test. It is high sensitivity CRP test, and that predicts what inflammation is going on in your body. If your inflammation, because that is the cause. So if inflammation is very low, your high sensitivity CRP should be one or less. And if you tell it, they will always do it. I have patients who have told me, who have shown me the reports, Uh, So that I uh, highly suggest. Other thing I suggest is 
this study was done long ago in France. People eat wrong kind of food, all fatty food, all those sauces. And yet the women over there live two years longer than our women here. And men live one year longer than our here. What is it that they are doing we are not? And the answer, a American scientist over there spent seven years and found out was if they have to have even lunch, they spend one hour taking that lunch, not lunch on the run like we do over yes. here. Yes. So what they do is even if they are eating fat, they eat slowly. Yes. And they put down their forks and knives in between the bites and then they chew nicely. Sometimes they talk also and then they pick up again. So eat your meal slowly, spread it out and don't eat if you're not hungry. Yes. So this is very important uh, to observe. And if you exercise, if it is a strenuous exercise, do it half an hour for three times a week. If you want to do more, fine, but that's enough. And if you do brisk walk, then half an hour, five times a week, or for 40 minutes, three times a week, which is the latest now that if you do 40 minutes, even three times is enough for brisk walk. So those precautions in the diet and uh, in the exercise, never miss more than two days in a row between the two consecutive exercise days. You can't do three days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and that's it. You have to do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then you can skip Saturday, Sunday, but never more than two days between consecutive exercise days. Yes. There's so many great things that you shared. I'm glad that we got this recording and this conversation in. I know there's so many things that you have to do too and you know, keep living the healthy lifestyle that you're doing. And I hope you're enjoying retirement and everything. Any last words? Why don't you share your website, share your book again? I know everyone can get it on Amazon. And any last words that you have? I would say if you have a new year resolution to make, then sugar, fried food, desserts, and highly processed meats like sausage, bologna, and all that. Try to cut it down as much as possible, if not eliminate it completely. And for dessert, you can have dark chocolate with cacao content more than 75%. And why don't you share your website and share your book again? Uh, I'm glad you asked that. I have my own website now. It is rajkanan.com. It is one word, rajkanan.com. And on that, there is about me on the homepage, then a little about my wife. But then there is podcast. And uh, eventually, this podcast also will get there. So they click on the podcast and they can see me there either speaking or speaking and video and then there is shop and they can click on shop it will connect them directly with amazon where they can have a look at the book itself and the reviews uh, and then decide for themselves 
It is $13.99, and I will repeat, all the monies will go directly from Amazon to Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, and then there is a button contact. If they click on that, it will take them to where they can contact me through my uh, email address, and I promise that I always answer the emails. And it would, you would be such a great resource for anyone that has more questions. And I like all of the information that you shared, all of the things that you've done through your career. It's so fascinating and inspiring. Keep doing everything that you're doing. And on the last note, you mentioned it earlier, which I forgot to touch on, but all of these things, these changes that you make in your diet, you mentioned it, that the things that you are eating are very delicious. And I think that's important for people to find all of the delicious alternatives or things that they do like to eat that really support their body, doesn't contribute to this low-grade inflammation, and they can do all the things that they want to do. So overall, thank you so much for all of the information. I hope you're enjoying some of the free time now, you know, and just doing the things that you want to do. But other than that, thank you so much for coming on. Anything that, that I missed? Thank you very much for inviting me. I uh, feel honored and my best wishes and happy holiday uh, greetings to all your listeners and followers. God bless you. God bless you all. Thank you so much, Dr. Rajanand. Thank you. Thank you.